0: you guys want to turn there. And so a little recap of last week. We learned about um, Jesus condemning the Jewish leaders, the scribes, how they were corrupt. We learned about, you know, they're basically false teachers. We learned about um, a widow that gave everything she had. And uh, we, we learned this example of sacrificial giving. Giving all we have, our entire lives to God, realizing that you no know, money, money or material things, nothing is ours. It's all the Lord. So let's let's give Him our all. And so that we're gonna roll right in from that. And this this is a pivotal moment, as we talked about last week. You know, Jesus is um, leaving the multitudes of people. He's just with the disciples. He's in his last days before he's gonna be crucified. And then we get into chapter 13 here, and this is like, um, it's the same part of the Gospels like of Matthew 24, like this heavy, end times, uh, like um, revelation type of a teaching that is thick and heavy and daunting along with it. And so as we get into it, you know, like it's talking about end times and what you see and this and that. And man, just, we hold it loosely. And I don't mean because it's not important. I just mean because there's just some people think this and some people think this, and we don't divide over what it is because at the end of the day, when this end time stuff happens, we're going to know how it happens, right? We don't, we don't get to know everything that God has planned. It's not for us to know everything. So, We just don't get hung up. It's important, but we don't get hung up on, well, I don't believe the rapture is till this time, or I believe the rapture is happening right now or whatever. It's just kind of a loosely held. And, and just as, as I, as I studied through this, you know, I just, I got to lean on guys that I trust people that do this for a living day in and day out, and then matching those together to make sure that one guy's not way out here. And it's, Interesting to say that because we'll get into those kinds of things as we get into it. We kind of got into that that part of things getting way out here with the false teachers and in the, these scribes that were, were doing things wrong last week. So we're going to learn about the Olivet Discourse is what this is about. Chapter 13. So biblically, the land of Israel is the center of the world center of the earth okay we're taught when we see a map that's pulled out flat the united states is the center right but biblically the israel is the geographic center of the world and we're going to get into why that is and it's actually kind of right in front of our face of how that is and why that is so we have israel is the center of the world kind of like this right And then at the center of Israel, we have Jerusalem, right? And then at the center of Jerusalem, we have Herod's temple, okay? So the reason that's important, because this area is the center of God's plan on what he's going to do on the earth. And that center is the temple, which is Jerusalem, which is Israel, center of the world the center of things that are, have happened or are going to happen, okay? So at this time, Jesus and his disciples, they're on the Mount of Olives, okay? And it, it looks across the Kidron Valley, Kidron Valley, and across from that is the um, is the Herod's Temple. And it was said back in the day that if if you haven't seen Herod's Temple, you have not seen a beautiful temple. Like, it was that magnificent. I mean, just like the most extravagant thing that, that was around. It was a big deal to everybody. In Ezekiel... Am I getting ahead of myself here? No, no, we're good. So, Ezekiel five five, God says, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations, and the countries are all around her. Right? So that's how we know that Israel, Jerusalem, the temple is the center. God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 5, all the countries are set around around Jerusalem. So think about this too, as, as we're getting closer to the, um, in Mark here, of Jesus being crucified. So Jerusalem is where God made the transaction, Right? He made, that's where our all of our salvation was purchased on the blood of Jesus, on Mount Calvary, right? So we, we just see where it's starting out there, really, this, the Lord, God, everything in that. And then um, we're, as we get into this and we dig into it, and you guys are going to get to see my ugly face for the next three weeks probably because this is so thick and I am so not equipped or mature enough to handle this. It's gonna take a lot of studying for me. So you guys get to have me do this until we get through one chapter. But it, like, it's heavy. But it's important. It's good stuff, you guys. It, it's really good. And so, when as we go through this craziness and we see this stuff, it's also gonna be the center of Jerusalem. Will be the center of um, the storms of the earth, prophetically. Okay, and is Isaiah chapter two. It says now it shall come to pass in the later days the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it hear that part you guys many people shall come and say come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of God the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, it's already getting boring, right? But we're talking about the start, the center of the world biblically. And right here in Isaiah, it just is said where people are going to come for, to know about the Lord. And then it says at the end of that, the word of the Lord the, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem will go out. As well. And we're going to unravel that and see it. So when we're going through this, you guys, we have to get this understanding and have a lens of the Jewish lens of how they're seeing things, not the way we see things as an American today, as a Christian today. We have to be thinking of how they were looking at it in the beginning of this. Okay, And so, just as Jesus is going to speak to them about the future of the Jews, about Jerusalem about the world and he's also going to speak to them and us about his future coming okay so let's get into it in verse 1 it says then as he went out of the temple one of his disciples said to him teacher see what manner of stones and what buildings are here okay this remember they're sitting up on the Mount of Olives they're looking across the Kidron Valley and they're looking at this this great temple well the Jewish people idolized the temple because the temple was a symbol to them it was such a big big deal as long as they had the temple they had their faith that they were the chosen people because God gave them this temple there that was their like it was their everything like the temple the temple right so they saw it just as the, the sign of, of the of their blessing as the chosen people and the temple was a good thing right it was from God a place for them to worship there's a lot of stuff as far as you know the tabernacle and the temple of like the inner courts the outer courts and all that i didn't i didn't really want to get into all that um a little bit intimidated by that to be honest with you but maybe uh maybe next time if we go through this but nonetheless it was a good thing is my point but often don't we take good things and we turn them to not so good right we turn them to sin and stuff So when I was going through this part, it reminds me of of the law, of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to us to show us we could not hold them. We couldn't do it. That's why we got the Ten Commandments. Now that seems silly, but it's not. Because we needed a set of things, rules and laws and stuff to say, okay, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And every day we're going to be like... I can't do that. I can't do that. So what does it do? It makes us say like, so how do I do it? Here comes the hero, Jesus. That's how we do it. So in the same way the law was good, then we turn it into something bad because then think about, like think of Romans, um, our guys' core group. We've been going through Romans and we've just been learning constantly about, like Paul's trying to tell us, like you're trying to live by these laws and these laws and these laws. And he's telling us how your faith. And Jesus trumps all these laws. Jesus came and fulfilled all these laws so that that we can have rest in him and not have this, this burden on our back of, man, I can't do it every day. I fail. Right. Martin Luther, like his story, you guys should look. I'm not going to get into it because I don't know the exact details, but it's something along the lines of where he just couldn't bear the weight of understanding. He can't, he can't hold the law, all the rules. And that's when he nails the 99 thesis, the 90th statement or whatever on the, on, the, on the door of the church. And that shows us like we had it backwards. That's what Paul was teaching us about. So point is, I'm getting out there. Point is, it's the same thing. It was good. And then we kind of just take it too far and we make that our idol versus God. Um, so go, moving on in verse two, and Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down okay see that first part that Jesus says as a question do you see these great buildings he's like asking them you guys see something great let's look at let's look at what this temple was that we're talking about this Herod's temple that they said if if you have never seen, or if you think you've seen a beautiful temple, but you haven't seen Herod's temple, you haven't seen a beautiful temple. OK, so let's, let's look at this of why it was. Um, Jesus is saying, like, it's not a big deal when they're all sitting up on the hill and the disciples are saying, oh, God, Jesus, look at how amazing this temple is. OK, so it began being built in 20 B.C. And it didn't get finished until 6480. So that's 80 some years. And it's debated if it ever was finished before it was tore down. But that's 80 years it took to build this temple with 18,000 men for 80 years to build this temple and this courtyard, the whole thing, this complex, right? It's incredible. So there would be, it kind of, it reminds me of, of where I grew up over in Heppner that used to have the Kinzu mill. Everybody worked there. Your grandpa worked there. Your dad worked there. Your cousins worked there. You know, it's just like, it was the source of work and income. So like for 80 years, like there was the same, same deal. The whole Papanoff family had worked there. All of them. And um, so the temple, when we break it down and look at how amazing this temple was and how big it was, and and we'll get to why that's important, it's pretty neat. So the, the temple was like itself inside of this complex was like 90 feet tall. And it was made of white marble. You guys can imagine, like the best of the best, right? And there was some stuff I read where they said it was like when the sun was shining on, it was so bright you couldn't even look at it. You know, and they didn't have Ray-Bans then, so it was probably an extra bummer. But it was, and it had this, this gold cornice around the top of it. I mean, you can just imagine what was put into it, just like the fanciest of the fancy, right? And so um, we have this 90-foot building or tower, you know, just to kind of keep the visual. We had the, from that to the bottom of the floor of the Kidrod Valley it was like, you know, a couple hundred feet or something like that. And so, like it was just seen from all all around, and eventually though, because the Roman took over and was occupying Jerusalem, or the Romans were that um, like forty years after Jesus said that, said this, and was up on the mount, there was a Jewish revolution where they were trying to like take take the town back, right, take the country back, and they'd won some, they did all right, but pretty soon the Romans just overwhelmed them, and so they they actually Eventually, like, the Romans destroyed all of Jerusalem, like, leveled it all. And then they eventually, they they leveled the temple and everything, too. But before that, you had, it was, it was such a big, like, almost reminds you of, like, I have never been there. I, I want to go to Jerusalem to see the remains, but, like, just some fortress, right? So these Jews, last remaining Jews, they, like, they ran there for protection. And so... They go in there for protection because it's their last stronghold. They're getting beat. And then the Romans are out, got them circled. And uh, it, I guess some drunk Roman soldier lit something on fire. Sounds like potentially it was some kind of an accident deal. So it, it caught all the linens and the, and the veils and all the stuff on fire. Well, it burns the temple down, right? So all that gold, it got so hot, that gold like melted and went down in all the cracks of the temple. So then out of their greed and everything, they just tear the temple down because every brick has to be taken down to get all that gold out of it. So the reason for going into this, as you can imagine, if if you're listening to the prior part of this, Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. So literally obliterated because of of the gold, which because Jesus prophesied and said it was going to happen, right? So a little more about this about the temple, though, and and, and I'm going to try to pin down why we're, I'm just hammering on this temple so much and, and how big it was and how fancy it was, and it's obviously the main point is because of Jesus prophesying it and it happening, and but a couple of things. So like this outer court area with this outside fence or what do you want to call it? But it's all brick or it's all stone, right? It's all out of limestone. It said, like, these limestones were, like, 400 tons. And it's remaining today, I guess. You can go see it. These blocks are 400 tons. The temple's gone. There's nothing left. Jesus said it was going to be destroyed completely. Ta-da! It's gone completely. Like, so much that they they're even having, like, historians have a hard time finding artifacts and stuff about it. Like, Jesus was very thorough about what he said was going to happen. But the outside parts of it that's still there 400-ton blocks that got they get tore down for one like how did they 400 ton block how did they do that they didn't have cranes how, how did they do it and it reminds me of um I was I was on a job a construction job on the Columbia River and it was at the Dalles Dam and we were building an 800 foot wall off the bottom side of the dam so the fish could get their bearings before they go on so I'm going to say about that very very inexpensive job uh Anyways, so they we're building this 800-foot wall that's going to go in the water, right? And so, like, we had divers that were pouring the concrete and stuff. Like, it was crazy. It was, it was one of the coolest jobs I'd ever done. But anyhow, they would they pre would, um, precast, pre-pour all these huge concrete blocks. Huge. I don't even remember the numbers on them. And they're like, one of my jobs was we, everything was on the water, so you had these big barges. Like, you see go up and down the Columbia River, and you have the tugboats pushing them, and the other guy grain on them or logs or whatever. So we just had all these empty barges, huge. And then, like, so one of my jobs, I had to, I had to weld these big structures to hold these 200-ton blocks so that we can get them off the land, onto the barge, tugboat, push it around, and then we can set it on the concrete that the that the divers put in. I'm getting into this more than, is nothing to do with the Bible, but I'm going to tell you anyways. So in between... I had a cool job. <laughs> so in between uh, these blocks, you know, we, it was just, it was, it was um, making the process faster because block, block, and there would be a space between, and we put forms on it, then we'd fill that with concrete. See? And then just made a wall, right? So back kind of to the point, we had these cranes out there, and, and um, uh, this company that had the crane outfit was called General Construction. they had the, it wasn't there, but they had the biggest crane in the world. In the world. I wanted to see it. I never got to see it. But one of the cranes they had there, the biggest one they had, they had several, was a 350-ton crane sitting on the water. But if you were to put that crane on the ground, it would have been like a 500-ton crane. This thing was huge. So it was on this huge barge, and they had to set it at the back, and we, we welded it all down like crazy. And it was so big, though, like there was a huge train car, like connex box underneath it and that was the lunch room where 50 guys would go in to eat lunch underneath this crane like it, it was amazing this crane would go over and it'd pick up these 200 ton blocks and it would have to go lengthways like the way it was going to pick it because when it would lift that up this 350 ton crane on the water it would the back of that boat would come out of the ground and it couldn't swing very far over it because it would tip you know and it would settle on this other this thing that i was telling you we built the stanchions on and then they push it around and it'd move around and get pushed around and set it in the water. So I'm just saying this example of what it takes today to lift up a 200-ton block. These were 400-ton blocks. And they still, like, I guess I haven't seen it, but I guess there's the remaining of this outer court still there. But it's still a lot of it got torn down. So you can imagine even, even marble. I don't have a lot of experience cutting marble, but I imagine it's crazy heavy and dense and thick. That's why they used it. For castles and, and towers, so you imagine there's huge blocks there too. Jesus said it was not one was going to be stacked on another. It happened. Should be like, man, he he means his stuff. So with that, he means his stuff when he says something's going to happen. Keep that in your minds as we go through this thick, heavy thing of end times and how it's things are going to happen. Okay. All right, I have beat that dead horse. <laughs> okay, um, so literally. It just meant the exact fulfillment of his prophecy, like I just said. We're going on to verse three. Um, what do we got? Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And when will be when will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Okay, so they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and they're looking across at the temple. Across the, the Kidron Valley, and the disciples ask a question. Okay. And Jesus answers the question, which brings us to the title of, of this this sermon. It's all of all of it all of, all of it discourse. And so, the the all of it discourse. They're on the Mount of Olives, right? All of it, and then the discourse. It just means speaking or writing something with authority on a certain topic. Okay? So it's a big deal. And we're going to spend the rest of chapter 13 looking at what that means, what Jesus was telling us. So in Matthew's account in this part of the gospel, Matthew 23, 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us, when will these things be, and what will the sign? What will be the sign of your coming, and the end of the age?" And I use Matthew's part of that because he says it a little different, and he says, "What will be the sign of your coming?" So that part, your coming, is what what we want to talk about. So when we think of his coming today, what do we think of? Right? We think of his second coming, right? That's what we're waiting for. Maybe now you see that. <laughs> okay. Could be disruptive. You can leave, Courtney. Um, so we think of his second coming. Um, but the disciples, remember, were, we're trying to look at this through the, the eye of a, a Jewish believer back then. And the disciples, they were thinking of his first coming. The glorious appearing of the Messiah is what they were they were waiting for. So when they asked this question, the disciples were thinking, like, okay, immediately, soon, this is going to happen. You're your King, so it should happen soon. We've already done the triumphal entry; he's already came in on a um, on a donkey. Everybody was like flocking to him, singing Hosanna on the highest. So they want to know, when are you coming to take over as king, is what, is what they're asking. So in the disciples' mind, they were thinking eschatology. So eschatology just simply means a scenario of the last day in events. Okay? and events. That's and how, that's how they were trained and raised up is in the Jewish world of just knowing the scripture and, and looking for the Messiah. So they had a fixed eschatology. And let, there's, there's four things. Let's go through it. And they're like, they're like counting them off as they go through these days because we're talking about end times, right? So number one, they were, they were watching and looking for the time of turmoil. Well, the Romans were there. The Romans were occupying Jerusalem, right? They were looking for a forerunner, telling of the coming of the Messiah. What did we learn about earlier in Mark? Mark. John the Baptist, right? There was just people going down to get baptized left and right down to Jordan. The third thing they were waiting for was the Messiah will appear defeating his enemies. Jesus is there with them. You know, that's part of the question they're asking. Like, I thought you were here. You're ready to go. And the fourth thing was the scattered Jews would come back to Israel so Jerusalem could be restored. They think the end time is right. Is going to be right then, when Jesus is there going through his stuff then. Okay? So the disciples, they were landing between two and three, right? They were landing between... So we had one that was... They'd seen the time of turmoil. The Romans were there. Two was the forerunner, John the Baptist. Three, the Messiah will appear. So they're right there between two and three. They've seen John the Baptist already, and Jesus is with them. So when Jesus says that the temple is going to be destroyed... Do you, is that making sense to you guys? Like, they're like, "What? how could it be destroyed? You're here. These things are going to happen. We're between two and three. All we're doing is waiting for number four. And the temple shouldn't be getting destroyed. It's going to be built up. And we're going to read as in the Old Testament, it says that people are going to come be the center of, of the world, like we talked about. People are going to be coming back. So they're confused there. They're thinking, this this timeline doesn't add up that you're talking about Jesus. Okay, so now we can fast forward to today, what we're thinking and what we're, we're going to be looking for. We're looking for two events, aren't we? In our viewpoint, our viewpoint, not the Jewish viewpoint, we're looking for Jesus coming towards the earth for his church. Towards. Okay, this is silly that I'm just learning this. I've heard it a thousand times, but it didn't click until I studied it. But hear that part. We're looking for Jesus coming towards the earth, okay? And in that, what we're talking about and we're looking for is what we call the rapture of the church. Okay. The second thing we're looking for is Jesus coming to earth with his church, right? See the difference there. There's a time of Jesus coming toward the church, I mean, t- towards the earth with to get his church. And then there's a time of Jesus coming to the earth with his church. Okay, so it's said that when the rapture happens, Jesus is coming toward the earth, and then we will be taken up with Jesus. Rapture. Rapture is not in the Bible, but guess what it is? Being taken up. Same thing. Okay, so we'll be taken up into heaven to meet the Lord in the air. But then after a period of tribulation, Okay, then that's the second part, when Jesus will come all the way back to the earth, right? And with his church, he'll reign. That's the part that the disciples were confused on. They were thinking that part was going to happen right then. Okay, and guess what, you guys? We're still thinking about um, Israel being the center of the world. When we're talking about Jesus coming back with his church to reign on the world, where does it happen at? The Mount of Olives. Right back where we started. Okay? So in verse 5, Jesus says, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and he will deceive many. Okay, so... Let's let's really look at this this little part of many will come. And this is where last week's reading of false teachers and that kind of stuff falls in here a little bit. So we know the Antichrist will come and reign globally, right? We've all heard that kind of stuff in, in Revelation. The Antichrist will come, it'll be globally. The whole world will be getting duped by the Antichrist till just be this amazing speaker that doesn't I'm not gonna go there. He's just gonna be awesome to the world and people are gonna fall for it. Jesus is 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 um saying beware right here. So in first John two two eighteen, let's see what that says. Helps us understand hopefully what we're talking about here. Like, is he coming, is he not? Is the Antichrist not the Antichrist? Because it's saying many, right? That's the point of that little part we're talking about. So in First John 2:18 it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So there has been many Antichrists, John says, and there will be many that will come in the tribulation period trying to deceive the world. Jesus starts right there in that, what is it, verse 4 or 5? Take heed. So he starts out with a warning in that because he's saying, be ready, know the word of God. People have been, John just said, people of Antichrists have been there. The scribes have been, I'm not saying the scribes were Antichrists, but they were kind of, in a way they were because they were leading people um, to hell eventually, or essentially. But, um, Many will say that they are Jesus or they're representatives of Jesus. Okay, you guys, in our lifetime, we've heard of these crazy things. Like, what's the, the crazy cult outfit that was? Rajneesh. The Rajnees. That somewhere was started a religious thing was what started and got that goofy stuff going, right? And I looked up a bunch of stuff, and we've heard of, like, um, I don't know the name of it or the people, but, like, all these mass suicides, right, of this guy that thought he was the messiah or whatever and led people to drink the punch and they died okay so one guy i looked up and there were so many like it's it was interesting to read that stuff you guys but man i just i got a broken heart just like lord forgive us we're just this is terrible we just we go the wrong way when we're not truly giving our lives to you and we lead people the wrong way anyhow there's this guy his name was wayne bent okay i'm gonna just gonna i I just um, copied this. I'm going to read about this this guy to, for a context of this. Wayne Bent, who also used the name Michael Traverser, is currently serving a 10-year prison sentence for criminal sexual conduct of a minor and contributing to the delinquence of a minor. Bent claims that in 2000, he heard God declare him to be the Messiah. And the former Seventh-day Adventist pastor had presented himself as God's divine messenger his new mexico-based movement called the lord our righteousness church referred to as a strong city by members was raided in 2008 by state police and bent was arrested national geographic produced a document titled inside a cult on bent and the lord our righteousness church in which the self-proclaimed messiah says see this is where it gets goofy you guys i am the i am the Embodiment of God, I am divinity and humanity combined. Although hundreds of members have abandoned the Lord of Our Righteousness Church since Bent's arrest, his messages from prison have been published online, with postings dated as recent as March. In one such message, Brent writes, I know that if I die or change, the final doom of man will closely follow. For the Holy One who possesses me will leave the earth with his possessed ones. Then all the world's pent-up hatred and finger-pointing will be unleashed as a flood against each other, and their fire and the, their fire will devour them. All of their self-righteousness will come back upon them as a plague, a man, as men do to them double what they have done to me. You guys see how this is all inward talking about himself self-appointing self 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 just like a warning that the lord whoever we're listening to and following like self self should be a huge red flag okay um their wealth will perish like snow in the summer sun okay so this is just this one of the many antichrists that john back at first john john the revelator told us about okay I want to talk to you guys about missing a target. We, a lot of us here, like, we shoot and hunt and all that stuff. So, like, up close, when we miss, it's not that big of a deal because we barely miss. Okay, but out there a long ways, when we miss that same amount, but you, it's out farther, we completely miss. Miss it altogether. So think about that. Oh, er- everybody's very spiritual. They're good you know, you can believe whatever you want as long as you, you're just spiritual. It's it's good. It doesn't matter. We're going to see, and we've been taught through the Bible if we're listening, how that missing a little bit here is important because when we get out here, when we get to the end times, that's going to be a bummer that we missed the boat. It's going to be a sad deal. The same thing it's just talking about false teaching. Well, I'm gonna end it there, you guys, abruptly. Sorry about that. Just this next section is just good and I just wanna I just really wanna hammer in. So come on up, Andy. And you guys like let's just think about this. I hope that uh some of you guys on maybe won't be here so sorry that I cut it off like that. There's gonna be um There's just going to be more to kind of tie all this together. But if you can get something today, if you can get anything about it, just understand that end times are coming, right? We're all going to die. Um, Bigger deal than that is Jesus is coming back. Do we know the word so that we don't miss way out there and miss completely? Because what's going to protect us? This sacrificial giving of giving our life all in, all the way, choosing God and knowing Him and His Word over, oh, I'm, I'm tired, I don't want to read the Bible, I'm tired, I don't want to go to church, Sunday's my day off. Church doesn't save us. We're not saved by works or the law. But how are we going to get to know the Word? If you do it on your own, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. How do I know that? God designed the church, the fellowship, to get this word right, to bounce it off each other, to dig through the word. What does this mean? What is it? God made scholars and all these guys that we trust that to, that line up together, that makes sense to know the word of God. Because if we're just like, at the end of the day, Jesus comes back, hey, I, I'm a good guy. And I don't really lie. I don't really steal. When I go to church on Sunday, guess what Jesus is going to say? Oh, big deal. There's the hot gate. Go through that one. So that's what we got. If you hear anything today, if you don't get to hear the rest of this stuff, that's what we hear. Know the word of God. Dig in. Say, Lord, show me how to be diligent. Make me diligent because I'm lazy on my own okay to say that you don't say it to me say it to yourself like question yourself why am i not digging in knowing the word why am i not being all in giving my life to christ you make time for god the creator of the world on his day off will figure out how to make time for your schedule to work so that you can live for him guarantee i can say that with his authority in front of you today right now give him your all because as we're going to see as we go through here, and the little bits I'm sure you guys have heard in, in um, the end times of, and all these warnings, like you don't get to figure it out when you're standing before Jesus. It's too late. So I encourage you guys, give it your all. Ask the Lord, show me how to give it my all so that I'm not doing it on my own strength. You want to pray for us, Andy? Thank you, Jesus.